0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Behind the Line podcast, where we discuss all things related to the Super Retriever series. Hey, everybody, I'm your host, David Hamilton, and today our guest is Sean Sims. Now, before we get started with Sean, we want to take a quick moment to say thank you to our sponsor, Yukanuba. The Super Retriever Series Crown Championship and the Behind the Line Podcast Series are both brought to you by Yukanuba, the leader in premium nutrition for sporting and working dogs. As I said a moment ago, our guest today is Sean Sims. He is fairly new to the Super Retriever Series, but certainly not new to the dog game. Sean, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here on our podcast today.
1: Well, I'm proud to be here.
2: For those who may not know you, because I said a moment ago, you you've been in the dog game for a while, but you're but you're new to the Super Retriever series. So I'm sure some of your your fellow competitors were able to meet you at this past year's crown. But for those who who may not be as familiar with you, let's let's take it back a little bit. Uh, let's just start with a, with an easy question here. Where are you from? And uh, tell us a little bit about about your background and uh, you know how long you've had dogs and and just how you became a dog trainer.
1: I got you. Uh, I grew up in Union Springs, Alabama. And, uh, that is actually where they hold the national free for all amateur of the pointing dogs. Uh, so I would go watch them every year, but I was not very involved. Uh, I did deer hunt a whole bunch on quail plantations. I always enjoyed watching those dogs work, but, uh, how I actually got into the retriever business is. I don't know. I was in my early twenties and I'd had my buddies beg me to go duck hunting for years and I wouldn't do it because it was deer and deer season. And anyway, I finally fell for it. They talked me into going one morning and, uh, of course we killed some ducks and I wasn't able to get to all of them and I fell in love with duck hunting. Long story short, I told my wife that I had to have a dog if I was going to keep doing that. And. A few months later, she bought me a little yellow female lab pup. And, and I, I guess you'd say the rest is history. I trained it for hunting, and I thought I had a good dog until I went and watched a hunt test, and then I realized uh, I didn't know much about dog training, and that just kind of set me on fire to have a dog that could do that, and been doing it for the last 20 years now.
2: Now, how'd you transition from just, you know, training your own dog to, to being a professional trainer over the years?
1: Well, that first dog, uh, she'd pick up every duck. Myself and my buddies would shoot. And, I mean, we were we were pretty mean on the wood ducks in Alabama. And some of those guys wanted a puppy out of her. And she was probably five or six years old when I finally decided to have a litter of puppies. And then, of course, when my buddies got some of the puppies, they wanted me to train them. So I started doing more research. I got involved with a HRC club um, and... All the members were very helpful and got me started in hunt test and competitive uh, aspects and just learning more about the game. Uh, so I, I experimented with my dogs and then my hunting buddies' dogs. And next thing you know, people I didn't even know were, were calling me and asking if I'd work with their pup. And it just evolved
2: how long ago did you get involved in competing in, in competitive games? So I know you were a professional trainer for, for people to get, like you said, get their dogs ready to go duck hunting. But, but at what point did you get involved in, in, you know, hunt tests or field trials or or anything like that?
1: I think the first hunt test I ran was in 2006. I'm almost positive on that. 2006, I ran my first junior test. Um, and within a year or so I'd moved up the ladder and was, uh, running finished and master with them so
2: and nowadays how many dogs do you compete with and how many events do you probably do a year and certainly that question may be different you know 2020 because of covid there may not have been as many as many events but but in past years you know how many dogs are you running at how many different shows around the country
1: Well, that also evolved. My kids, while they were young, I did not run a whole lot of hunt tests. I was still geared more towards gun dogs, and then I'd run uh, run hunt tests occasionally. And I guess it was about six or seven years ago, I got more into wanting to compete at the Grand and, and do well there. Well, over the next several years, Long story short, I got tired of getting my butt kicked at the grand. So I started training harder and harder and harder and more difficult concepts and all that sort of stuff. And next thing you know, I was, I was basically running field trial setups on a daily basis. And one of my mentors finally talked me into going and running a qualifying, uh, first qualifying I ran. I've, I was lucky, got second in that, and that just kind of set the hook. And I want to say that was about three and a half years ago when I ran my first qualifying. So to circle back to your, your, your question about how many, um, I still ran hunt tests and field trials for several years in there. I would run AKC and UKC hunt tests, but then I would run field trials, uh, qualifiers with my, with my more advanced dogs. And I, the last hunt test I ran was the 2019 Master National, and I've uh I've completely transitioned over to trials now.
2: Yeah, I was about to ask that. What, did you transfer over to, to, to field trials just because you had success at it or because you liked it more, or what was the reasoning behind saying, you know what, I've done both in the past, but I want to be predominantly a field trialer at this point?
1: Well, 2019, I had six weekends off the entire year. I was either, I was at some sort of dog event every weekend and it's kind of hard to have a, as a dog trainer, you don't have a whole lot of free time as it is. And then trying to run all venues, it was hard on me. It was hard on my uh, my family and it was hard on the dogs because I was taking the same dogs and we might be running an HRC event one weekend and then go run a trial the next weekend. And uh, it was just it was very difficult to do and, uh, it, I just didn't feel like it was fair to the dogs to do all that stuff week in, week out and expect them to compete at the upper levels. So, uh, with that being said, I've always enjoyed building these young dogs. So I got lucky. I had a crew of, uh, young dogs come in and we just kind of focused on derbies and with those guys and then the older ones, were, you know, were working up the ladder, qualifying and, and the open level um, just kind of evolved into it.
2: Now, as a guy who focuses primarily on field trials now, how did you get involved with the super retriever series? Cause it's kind of a, a combination of everything, right? Hunt trials and, uh, hunt tests and field trials.
1: That is true. Uh, I actually ran my first SRS, oh, seven or eight years ago and I got my little butt whipped and I don't do real get well getting my butt whipped. Uh, and I knew then I had to have the right dog and the right training and that sort of stuff and then you know i just didn't have the right dogs to play with i've always loved the concept i like the scoring system you you see where everybody stands and there's a lot more strategy than the average hunt test or field trial There obviously there's strategy in every game you play but this is it's a little bit different you know in a field trial typically you you blow the whistle you're probably in pretty serious trouble there um you know, hunt, test, You're, there's some times you can get some handles in the area and that sort of stuff, but it's just a, a whole lot different animal. But I really enjoyed it, and as I got some of these dogs coming up through the program, I had three or four that I thought could compete, and uh, we just decided we'd, we'd give her a shot this last year.
2: Was there anybody that kind of helped you with the rules or with the strategy? Because to your point, it's a little bit different of a game than some of the other ones that people may typically play if they haven't been playing in the Super Retriever Series for a while.
1: I, you know, a lot of people help me with just a few little comments here and there. Uh, you know, like at the, at the crown, Luke Core gave me some advice. Um, Steve Endurance has given me advice in the past and uh, you know, several of them. Uh, so everybody's been extremely helpful. Um, and they didn't have to be that way, you know, out there competing, but there's a bunch of good guys that
2: play this game. Absolutely. I echo those sentiments 100%. You mentioned that, you know, over the years, as you were trying to f- figure out if you maybe had a dog that, that might compete in this event well, uh, what about Wiggles made you think that, that Wiggles might be the one that could compete for a crown championship?
1: Well, when I first ran it, I really wasn't – I didn't have crown championship in mind. I just thought he could compete in a weekend event. Uh, his mother was probably the best all-around dog I would ever trained. I felt like she was capable – Of doing that, and she is one of them that I had ran and won several years back. And uh, I was not ready as a handler. Um, I didn't know how to prepare for all that stuff. And then now that I've got the experience with the hunt test and field trials, I felt like I was a a little better handler. I knew how to do the training a little better and all that. So he's a well balanced all around dog. His line manners are flawless. Uh, He sits and watches. He don't care if the birds are 10 yards or 400 yards. His line manners are the same, very compliant,
2: land, water. I just, I just thought he was a perfect animal to go play with SRS. Well, and then he qualified for the crown. So you, you head down to, to Huntsville. What were your expectations heading into the crown championship weekend last year? I had
1: no expectations. Um, I actually ran two dogs in the crown, uh, the same weekend. Both of them had, I had qualified, I had Rebel and Wiggles, and honestly, I thought Rebel was my best shot at it. Uh, Rebel is super nice dog. Uh, we had a little bad luck in the first series and got too far behind, uh, point wise to catch up, but, uh, the little hiccup that Rebel made, it, uh, it taught me a lesson for when Wiggles got up there. So it actually helped me with Wiggles. I knew how to handle that particular blind better and it, it, it paid off.
2: Yeah. And you and Wiggles, you go out there to that mud test out of that XL boat and, and, and you put down the 28s. So you got to be feeling pretty good about that coming out of, out of series one. Yeah.
1: I did. I felt good. Uh, honestly, the only thing I was concerned about that was, uh, you know, when I tried to cast him out of the boat, I wasn't sure if he was going to come back to me. i I've, I've done all the remote casting work before, but not in it, exactly that situation, but it, it worked out good.
2: So, you, so you're coming out of Series One. You got a 28. You're one of the the lower score people there, and you're you're headed to a big field trial Series Two, and and that, as we discussed a couple minutes ago, that's kind of your forte. So, uh, what were you thinking heading into Series Two, knowing that you were getting a field trial and it might be to your advantage over some of the other competitors who maybe don't who don't field trial as much? I uh,
1: I felt like I had an advantage over most of the guys there. Uh, with that being said, the weather conditions were brutal, and so that that had me. Had me a little bit concerned, but he watched all the birds went down and gave me good effort and it, it worked out really well. I was, I ended up having a handle on one of the marks. I don't know if he would have picked it up or not without a handle. It was basically a safety. Uh, I guess you'd call it a safety whistle just to make sure. But, uh, so that was a group effort. I got lucky when he was able to hear the whistle in the wind and then he, then he would, took the cast he was able to see me to take the cast
2: for anyone who may be listening so so you know when we do these podcasts the feedback I get so I always love hearing somebody's story and, and as do I and the other thing I hear from our listeners is you know a lot of times people listen for advice so if there's somebody out there that whether they're a, a pro handler or an amateur what what's your advice as someone who's really strong in the field trial game if they're facing a, a, a similar test to what y'all faced there and and you know the test number two at the crown championship how should they approach that? What should they be thinking? And, you know, just any advice you could pass along that may help them in the future.
1: Well, the little bit of difference in the, uh, if that was an open in in a field trial, I would have never blew that whistle. I would have trusted my dog to get out there and find it Uh because odds are you blow the whistle, best case scenario, then you're just going to finish the test. You're not probably not going to finish in cover uh in color, but, that comes back to the strategy at SRS instead of taking the chance I decided to go ahead and handle and put the dog in the best position to to finish so we didn't end up having too big a hunt um, field trials honestly i'm going to start with line manners um you know when i was running hunt tests everything i always heard was you know field trial people don't care about line manners and all that and there is some truth to that in the aspect that the judges don't care about the line manners, but you as a handler better care about line manners because if that dog is unstable and moving around and and prancing and all that, it is hard to focus on those um, long birds where you're only catching uh, bits and pieces of it in flight. And so that dog's line manners better be flawless and sit there and and focus on those long birds.
2: That's great advice, man. Um, you mentioned a few minutes ago that because you don't normally you know do the super retriever series that, that there were some guys there who uh you know tried to give you some advice and and it was well received and that two of the names you mentioned specifically were Luke Cord and Stephen Durrance. and you know after the the second series you're sitting there with a with a total score of sixty seven and those guys are at ninety and seventy seven so I gotta imagine you're feeling pretty good after, after series two, were were you nervous at that point? Like, man, I might have a shot at winning this thing, or did you just feel like you were playing with house money? And so you're like, Hey, you know what? I'm here. And I'm happening to do well. And let's just see where the, where it all shakes out.
1: You know, I never had any expectations all the way through. And I've, I've been lucky running competitive stuff in the field trials and, uh, you know, competing at the grand and all that. I guess I've learned how to control my nerves. Um, I'm not going to say I don't get a butterfly occasionally, but not yet not at that point in the in the crayon I was not nervous so but yeah the, those guys just gave me little little pieces of advice here and there and I was definitely appreciative of it
2: we're heading into series 3 at that point and you know just like we always talk about the, the super retriever series tries to find the best all around well-balanced dog so you knew coming out of a if series two was a field trial series three was probably a hunt test and exactly was it was exactly that so when you get up there and you, and you see what the judges are wanting and, and you, you see the test dog uh what were you thinking of how you were going to approach that that hunt test with wiggles uh, wasn't
1: a specific strategy. I mean, it was a hunt test with a poison bird blind in there. Uh, well, actually it had an outgoing diversion and I knew the hunt test part. Wiggles actually has a hunt test background because I was still running both venues when, when Wiggles was just a pup. So he had seen it. He, he just has not seen a lot of it recently. Um, he did not see the first bird out, which was the longest bird, and but he saw the other two, so I was confident about him picking those up. Now, with that being said, we got a little break uh, when I had sent him for for one of the shorter birds. Uh, he was hunting a little bit wide of it, and he just happened to see the holding blind and knew there was you know he's been around enough now he knew there was a bird up there so he went right up there and picked that up but then I really worked with him on that shorter easy bird I probably said easy to him 10 times before I ever sent him to remind him to check down on that and uh he he ran right out there and picked it up so we got a little bit of a break right there
2: and then series four that's the the long poison bird blind field trial and uh, I mean, y'all just straight slayed that, right, a 14. I mean, you and Wiggles went out there at, at Series 4 and really showed what you could do. So, I'm sure in Series 4 you were, you were feeling pretty well.
1: I was. That was a good line for Wiggles. I actually knew exactly what he was going to do before I ever stepped to the line. Now, we got it done in a whistle or two less than I was expecting, but he always – when I run a poison bird blind, he always pushes off of it a little bit. Uh, So when he pushed off that blind, I let him get a little bit further than I intended to, but I almost had to for him. I knew the first, you know, the first initial line he was going to push off. I knew the second, or should I say the first cast, he was going to go towards the poison bird. And I had to, let him go a little ways where I could get the cast past it. So I intentionally let him get a little bit out of line just so I could get him back on line. And it, anyway, it worked out perfect. He ran that line just exactly the way he does in training. So I couldn't ask anything more out of him. We got a 10 point penalty for being out of the corridor, which I didn't know exactly where it was, but I, I had a pretty good idea. I'd watched enough dogs and seen enough scores and, uh, he did exactly what he normally does in training, which helped things.
2: That was my next question. Another kind of advice question maybe for our listeners is, you know, certainly there's going to be some people that listen to this that have been in the game like you, you know, 20 years and they, they have a ton of experience, but maybe there's some some people that are just getting into the sport. So you, you mentioned you, you walked up there with Wiggles and you knew exactly what he was going to do because he's done it a thousand times in, in training. How can a a handler, maybe even a a young or inexperienced handler, or maybe, you know, an amateur handler who this is their first dog and they're they're trying to train it themselves, how can they learn that about a dog? How can they learn the dog's tendencies or their personality? And Is it just time and and repetition, or or are there certain little tricks that they can pick up on uh, that you might be able to pass along?
1: I don't know about the trick part. Um, You know, I grew up out in
2: the woods, and,
1: God and deer hunting and all that so we had cows we had horses dogs the whole package so my nearest neighbor was two miles away so i learned how to read animals body language early on so i got lucky i got an advantage over some people from that aspect but as far as somebody just getting into it with one dog i would almost recommend taking notes of every training session and if you'll go back and review those notes um, especially the more detailed notes you take, the better off you'll be. You'll be able to go back and see tendencies, you know, in certain situations, does the dog scallop here? Or, you know, if I give this cast, he does, he does something different, you know, the certain pitcher, you know, whether it's a keyhole pitcher or, or, you know, two down the shore or whatever it is, if the dog has a certain tendency, it'll show up in your notes and then you'll know what to know, what to look
2: for. Hey, that's really great advice there. We're chatting with uh, Sean Sims here on the Behind the Line podcast, and we're going to take a quick moment here to thank our sponsor, Eukanuba. Sporting dogs give us everything we can ask for, and then some, their nutrition should do the same for them. You can find more information on Eukanuba at com, and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Eukanuba Sporting Dog. Sean, you're heading in to the Crown Series 5 uh you are leading the pack so at that point uh you are in first place with a, a fairly substantial lead um you'd said that you don't normally get butterflies uh, after doing this for so many years but but heading into that final series were there any nerves on your end and, and part two of that question you said you you know your whole life you've been able to to read the body language of of animals did wiggles realize it was something on the line or was wiggles just out there ready to you know run another test
1: Oh, that boy just wanted to go pick up some chickens. Uh I don't think he – obviously, he didn't know what the implications were. He just enjoys doing what he does. Um As far as me, I, yeah, I probably had a butterfly or two standing in the holding line. Uh, wouldn't be any fun if you didn't get a little nervous every now and then.
2: For sure. Uh Series five was a hunt hunt savvy test. Um didn't go as well as the, the other four had gone for you. But uh, so, you know, unfortunately, you, you didn't come away with the crown. But, hey, man, finishing third in your first crown championship has, has got to be a, a pretty good feeling there and, and and way different than, as you said, back in the day where you felt you got your butt kicked first time you came out there. You're definitely one of the, the butt kickers this time. So, all in all, what were your uh, takeaways from the, the 2020 crown championship? Well uh-huh. –
1: I'm not going to lie. If I had to pick two people to get beat by, the two people, uh, they're two of my favorite people in the dog world, Luke Cord and uh, Lee Howard, great people, all that sort of stuff. So that part did not bother me. Um, Obviously, I hated to lose. We had a little bit of bad luck and a little bit of – I made a handler error on the blind, or one of the blinds, um, and it actually was – from watching Luke run the dog in front of me. That's where, you know, I've been asked several times why I did what I did. Well, I haven't gone back and watched the the playback, but from what I saw from the holding blind, when Luke's dog went through the keyhole, the dog went left. And I think I had seen another dog do it as well, and it took him a couple of casts to get the dog in the water. So my strategy going up there, there was – there was a tree on the left side that was the left side of the keyhole. So as Wiggles went through the keyhole, he was past that tree when I I tried to blow the whistle quick so I could go ahead and get Wiggles in the water to try to prevent one or two of those cash refusals that Luke had gotten. Well, I blew the whistle probably too quick. If I would have let him clear the tree I would have, I was, like I said, I was already through the keyhole and I'm confident it may have taken a cast or two, but I could have got him in the water and we could have finished the blind. That would have eliminated that penalty we got. But since I blew the whistle so quick in anticipation, now he's sitting behind the tree. When I took the step to give the cast, he cast off of my step and basically gave me an over, which brought him back out of the keyhole, and then I was not able to get him back in there. So handler error there, Um and then you know, a little bad luck. He didn't see a couple of the marks. The sun was setting, and you know, it's just one of the breaks of the game. He had got a break in the, third series on on one of the judgment calls and then you know he got a bad break there so it is what it is and then he did what he was trained i pointed him out there and sent him and he went right where i i sent him um
2: it just was the wrong side of the wind as he was going by the bird yeah man absolutely i think anybody in this game can tell you you win some and you lose some but over overall i i think you have to be proud of your Uh, third place finish there at the crown. That is is quite the achievement. Um, And in finishing third, you qualify for the 2021 crown. So we're going to see you and Wiggles out there again this year. I will
1: probably ease out there. Um, We got a lot of work to do and a lot of training to do. Um, I got a Mr. Rebel, the uh, other dog. I got to see about trying to get that dude qualified too. So we'll run us a few weekend events between now and then
2: yeah I was going to ask what's twenty twenty one hold for you in terms of uh events? I know that you you kind of scaled back a couple of years ago, as you said you were always on the road and so you try to you know be more selective of where you compete so you know how how many different weekends you think you'll be out there this year with your dogs and how many different dogs are you going to be you know out there at at different types of events, whether that's a field trial or or whether that's a an s r s qualifier
1: well, I actually ran my first uh my first trial of the year this past weekend. So I'm basically going to run every other weekend in trials. Um, And if, when the schedule works right, we're going to, we're going to hit some of the closer SRSs with a couple of the dogs. I'll probably run Wiggles and, and rebel. And I've actually got a, a client that runs a lot in the amateur division. He's, he's pretty competitive there. So we'll, we'll run some of them. I just don't have my dates lined up lined out but about every other weekend we'll be running either a field trial or
2: an srs well all right best of luck to you man we'll hope to see you out there before we let you go here today the podcast we always end with our final five questions it's a rapid fire i ask you a quick question and you just give us the first answer that comes to your head so what's something about you that most people don't know
1: i have no idea i'm, I'm pretty much an open book uh, that's a trick question
2: a few weeks back, we had a guest, and uh, I forget which one of the handlers it was, and he says he's actually allergic to dogs. <laughs> and I was like, well, "How does that work out with your profession?" And he's like, "Take a lot of lot of Claritin." <laughs> I guess so. That's
1: pretty interesting. I have no idea. I'm a pretty much an open book.
2: Well, that's good to know. Anybody that uh, will get to know you knows that uh, you know they, they you get what you see there, and that's that's a great way to be, Sean. Question 2, when I say retriever, and not just SRS, but just when I say retriever, what's the first dog that comes to mind and why? Uh
1: probably a golden retriever and I simply because there's one sitting on the couch right beside me right now.
2: If you had to describe yourself in one word, what would it be? Oof. Competitive i was actually about to hint you towards that way when you said you don't you don't like losing i was like he sounds like me he's pretty competitive i uh i'll compete with anyone in in, in any scenario and it sounds like in talking to you today (laughs) you're the same way uh if you were not a dog handler what profession would you want to attempt other than your own probably
1: a salesman why i just always love uh selling stuff i did a little bit of that in the past and uh i guess on one hand that's basically what we're doing with these dogs yeah we're doing some training but we're just trying to sell
2: them on on doing what we're asking them to do awesome and final question for you Uh hypothetical question here you have a weekend to yourself not a dog game to compete in nothing from work no honey do list like cut the grass how are you spending that time
1: if it's hunting season i'm chasing ducks <laughs>
2: That is the perfect answer for us to end on today, man. I think everybody listening to this would probably say the same thing. Sean Sims, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for being a a guest here on the Behind the Line podcast, and uh, hope to see you out at a lot of SRS events. And uh, certainly anyone, if you see him out there with uh, Wiggles or Rebel, just uh, swing by and say hello, because we certainly want to welcome Sean to the game. He he proved this past year that he's going to be a force to be reckoned with moving forward. So, Sean, thanks for your time here today.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.
0: Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds
2: up in the sky
0: Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.